If your brother comes to you, if your sister comes to you and points out a sin, make it your first response to listen. Not to defend, to rationalize, or what I've seen many, many times, turn it back around on the other person. Be willing to hear what your brother, you don't have to agree, but listen. I would say it is still kind of sad to think that Christians, their first response many times is not to listen, but to put up barriers and not hear. And it's sad, it's tragic. I've been around the block a long, long time to know that those who don't listen, they get harder and harder oftentimes. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott brings a message from chapter 18 titled, Sin in the Family. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. God values His children And uh, Jesus said that each individual is extremely valuable to the Father. I mean, you can read it from the story. He says, let me illustrate. If a man had a hundred sheep and uh, one of them has gone astray, he'll leave the fold and look for that hundredth sheep and go search for that one. And when he finds it, he rejoices over it, verse 13, more than over the ninety-nine which had not gone astray astray. Uh, God places great value on lost ones. Let me pause and remind you that to come to Christ as your Savior, you must admit that you're lost, okay? And that's what he's amplifying here, and he's pointing out that God cares for the lost. You might be laboring under the misconception that you couldn't come to God couldn't come to Christ as your Savior because you've got so much baggage or you you feel yourself so weak or you think, I don't know. I don't know if I could live the Christian life. I'm telling you, Christ came to seek and to save the lost. And God infinitely values the lost sheep so that he tells this story. And you know, he told this story on another occasion. Uh, we'll maybe glance at that in a minute. But... Uh, Let me just remind you, the only measurement you can put, when I say he greatly values, I think I could say he infinitely values his lost ones that he goes out and finds. Because the measurement of his love is the immeasurable gift of Christ. We should have similar heart. Um, Yesterday... I got a text right after lunch, and actually it was from downtown here, and a man texted me that he'd had lunch with a business associate, and this is a man he's been talking to about Christ, and that man had, with his wife, they've been thinking about it, you know, they've been moving toward Christ, they prayed together to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. And he texted me, and I thrilled with him because God values the lost. He values the lost businessman. He values the lost street person. He values anyone who senses their need and comes to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, You can stop and apply that many ways. But don't 
belittle or despise uh, ministry you can have toward little ones. I mean, let's be literal for a minute. Some of you teach Sunday school, I hope, because we ought to be teaching kids about Christ. My wife came to Christ through a Sunday school teacher, you know, and it's a great value to take some time and teach the little ones, point them to Jesus. And uh, we should. We should. Uh, it may not make headlines. Oh, he's a Sunday school teacher. No, that may not make the headlines today on earth. But in heaven, Jesus expanded on this. Turn over to Luke 15 for just a moment. Luke 15. Jesus, uh, in this occasion, he not only gave this illustration of the sheep, the 99 and the 1, but he gave two more illustrations. This whole chapter uh, was in one setting where Jesus said, let me tell you three stories, and they're really one. They're three parts of the same truth he's driving home because they were criticizing him for reaching out to lost people. And he said, you know, that's why I came. That's why I came. And then he told the story of the hundred sheep. And I won't read it again, but it's in the first six verses of Luke 15. But read verse 7. I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. There's joy in heaven when a little one is found. Then he told the story in verses uh, 8 through 10. It's short enough, I'll just read it. What woman, he says, verse 8, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then he tells the final story of these three about the two sons. We often call it the prodigal son. And uh, it closes with him saying, we had to rejoice. This son was lost and has been found. God loves it when his little ones are found. He came to seek and save the lost. And we should have a similar esteem. I, uh, Sunday... I, after I had proclaimed God's word, a man came up to me and he introduced himself. And uh, it was exciting to me because as I got to know him, he is new in the Portland area. He'd come from the Bay Area. And he said, you know, I, uh, that in itself is a good step, right? No, I'm just teasing. But he said he, he was wondering, he, his, he, he has a good job. He came up here and I don't know if his job moved him or not because he told me, he said, you know, I was... He wanted me to know that he knows Christ and he was wanting to serve Christ, and I was thrilled to see it and hear it and get to know him a little bit. But he told me, he said, you know, I didn't know for sure why I was coming. But he said, since we got here, he has some relatives in the metropolitan area. And he said, since we got here, one of them has come to know Christ. And he said, if that's the only reason I'm here, that's enough. And I immediately knew what he was talking about. I immediately assented that uh, that's so true. In fact, being a preacher, you know, I went ahead and preached a little bit. I said, hey, man, 
one person coming to Christ is more valuable than if you built the biggest skyscraper in Portland. And he knew that. I, I was preaching to the choir, you know. But he was thrilling. He'd already told me it was worth it to move his family. And, and uh, I'm, you know, I was, I was thrilled with that. And that's the way we should value God's little ones. Now, at the, after saying that, verses 15 to the end of the chapter, basically the balance of this chapter, and I want to kind of move, uh, we want to get through verse 20 if we can. So uh, the balance of this chapter is about sin. And actually, the whole chapter is when you think about it. You've got to be converted. You've got to turn like a child you must be converted or you won't see the kingdom of heaven. Christ came into the world to save sinners. But now he talks about the great need to confront sin, the need for confrontation of sin in verses 15 through 20. And then I don't think we'll get to it, but verses 21 through the end, the great need for forgiveness of sin. And it's not as if the Bible teaches that when you come to Christ, you'll never sin again that's a mistake to think that way. Uh, Some Christians, now we don't want to sin, we shouldn't sin, we don't need to sin, but some Christians carry that so far that they say we don't sin. And he wrote a whole chapter about that in 1 John. He said, if you say you don't sin, you're lying. Uh, But you walk in the light and you confess your sin, and as you do, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin. But this matter of a Christian sinning, let's read it, and then we'll come back and look at it. Verse 15, if your brother sins, notice he's talking about a brother, uh, not just somebody, but someone who's born into the family. That's the only way to be a Christian is to be born in, okay? So if a brother or a sister, I could add, because he's just, he's just saying it that way. If your brother sins, go and reprove him in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he doesn't listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church... Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax gatherer. Truly I say to you, whatever you shall bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am. In their midst. Now, uh, that is quoted so often, and uh, that, and it, and it stands out where two or three are gathered, there he is in our midst. I want to defang it for just a minute. He's not really saying uh, there that wherever two or three are gathered, like in a prayer meeting or any other, that's really not his emphasis. It's, not, it's true. Uh, There's more than two or three of us, and I hope everyone here knows Christ, but some of you do anyway, and some of you maybe don't, and I say, welcome. If you don't know Christ, this is where many people come to know Christ, is hearing his word. But wherever we're gathered, he's in our midst. There's no question about that. But he's talking about, very specifically, when God's people are in agreement in dealing with sin. And he says, I identify with that. Uh, So I'll just say that, and then we'll look at it. Uh, We have a clear instruction here as to how to deal 
with a sinning Christian, a brother, a sister. Uh, Whoever receives him becomes a child of God, John 1.12. And as a child of God, your sin has been punished. Listen to me carefully. It was paid for at the cross, all of it. Praise God, he put it as far as the east is from the west. But it's a family now, and he will discipline sin, okay? He will rebuke sin. It's like when I was a kid, my dad, uh, when we the neighborhood kids were messing around and getting in stuff we shouldn't, he didn't deal with the neighbor kids. <laughs> he dealt with the last name of Gilchrist because I was his son, and he said, And he wouldn't yell at the other kids. He'd say, Scott. And I'd say, oh, no. I knew. Because dad cared for, like you do, your own. Well, the father cares for his own, okay? Now, if your brother sins, go and reprove him. Wow. Go and uh, confront him. Convict him. Point out to him. Expose, this word is translated in all those ways, to reprove sin. If you see a brother or sister in sin, you go and expose it. You say, hey, that's wrong. You know, you point it out. Now notice, reprove him in private, okay? Uh, You don't go publicly and rebuke him. You go privately. And uh, you use scripture, I believe. Uh, one of the places where this this term is used, I think, about 18 times in the New Testament. And one time it's used in the context uh, of Timothy being told in Paul's last letter, he said, preach the word, reprove, rebuke, exhort. You know? And one of the best things you can do in pointing a sin out is to use the scripture, okay? Use the word, Timothy, when you reprove. And then be specific. You're not to go to your brother, because he has a different personality than you or because he's uh, involved in a different style of Christianity or generalities. No, you to be, it's specific sin. If your brother sins, uh, and people often worry about this, man, if I did that, I'd lose my friendship with him or he wouldn't respond well. Well, Jesus talks about both responses here. It always won't be that they'll respond positively. But notice, let's read it. If he listens to you, that's the positive response, verse 15, you've won your brother. Oh boy, think about it. A child of God is dabbling in some sin. And you go to your brother and you reprove him. You expose the sin. You rebuke him in private. And he listens. She listens. Think of the thousands of lives that have been corrected in this way and avoided real disaster. Marriages have been saved by this private confrontation of sin. You see someone starting to do things they ought not do uh, at work, just, just their tone toward the opposite sex, and you call them out. If they're a brother, you say, hey. And by the way, we're not to necessarily go around shaking our finger at non-brothers. You know, I'm not necessarily to correct people who don't know Christ about their sin. I'm to evangelize them. I'm to proclaim that they can be forgiven. But my goal is not to clean their life up. But my brother, 
If I see him flirting with another woman, I should tell him, hey, what does the scripture say about that? And I could help save a marriage. I mean, we could stop and apply that many ways. Many have avoided untold suffering because they listened when a brother confronted them in their sin. But Jesus knows, notice verse 16, but if he does not listen to you, if he does not listen to you, and then he moves to what, what to do. But before I, before I go any further, let me make an application that's so important. If your brother comes to you, if your sister comes to you and points out a sin, make it your first response to listen. Not to defend, to rationalize, or what I've seen many, many times, turn it back around on the other person. Be willing to hear what your brother... You don't have to agree, but listen. Okay? Now, I just say that parenthetically because it's been a shock. (laughs) I'm over the shock, but it's been a shock to me. And it really, I guess, wasn't a shock because human nature, we defend ourselves, don't we? But I would say it is still kind of sad to think that Christians, their first response many times is not to listen, but to put up barriers and not hear. And it's sad. It's tragic. I've been around the block a long, long time to know that those who don't listen... They get harder and harder oftentimes. But anyway, he says, go to them in private, and if he listens, you've won your brother. If he doesn't listen to you, notice, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. Uh, If he doesn't listen to you, take someone with you. Now, this is raising the stakes. And oh, the hardness of someone who doesn't listen to a private rebuke. And then you come with two or three witnesses and you say, you know, we've all noticed. Both of us have noticed. And we're confronting you. And they continue to not listen. It's a serious matter. And by the way, this is something where we ought not to be, Jesus told the story, you know, about not getting the, sliver out of our brother's eye when we've got a timber in ours. This will guard against that kind of hypercritical spirit because if I just have my little private issue with somebody but I can't find a brother that'd go with me, maybe I ought not to have that issue. But if it's serious, if there's sin, then if they don't listen, bring a brother. And I'd say this becomes still private but, you know, a little bit semi-public. And if he listens, you've won your brother. And if he doesn't, if he refuses, verse 17, to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax gatherer. Wow. God cares about sin in his children and he deals with it. And those whom the Lord loves, he Revelation 3.19 says, rebukes, reproves, and disciplines, both. Uh, That's in Hebrews 12, but he says both in Revelation 3.19. So God says, go privately, go with a brother, and if he doesn't listen to the two of you, take it to the whole church. And if he doesn't listen to the church, 
well, then he must be treated as an unbeliever. Now, we don't treat unbelievers as enemies in the sense of what we, we don't consider someone who won't listen to rebuke. A brother, we begin to help hopefully win them to Christ because we really can't tell at that point. And we should reach out in love, but we should reach out and uh, treat them, he says, as a Gentile and a tax gatherer. Now, Jesus was accused of what? <laughs> Being the one who was too warm to tax gatherers. So we don't, it's not a, we don't, we admonish as a brother, Second Thessalonians 3.15 says. And that was the sin of just not even working. Some guy in the church that wasn't working and was sponging off others, and he said, you rebuke that brother, and if he doesn't listen, you deal with it. He, the third chapter has about three or four inches on that in 2 Thessalonians. But he says, you're not, you're not, you're not uh, I forget the word he uses, but you're not treating him as an enemy, but admonishing him as a brother. Now, uh, somebody sped the clock up on me because I really, I got to quit. But I wanted to give you one verse. I think we have, we have 30 seconds. I'll use it. Turn to Galatians 6. There's a parallel text that I'd like to unfold, and maybe we'll pick this up next time a little bit. But um, brethren, verse 1, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourselves lest you too be tempted. It's a great, great text, very parallel to this. Don't go in as a Pharisee or a self-righteous one. Go in as a brother and look to yourself lest you, if you can see a sin, you're probably capable of that sin, huh? And you go in with gentleness, with the idea of restoring the brother or the sister to the fellowship. Now, I'm going to take 15 more seconds and say this, and then we'll be done. Sin is serious. We've been talking in this last section, Jesus is talking about sin within the family and what we should do. And God says he'll discipline sin. Hebrews 12, we will take a look at that next time just to kind of finish this off. But uh, there's a huge difference between the discipline of children and the punishment of evildoers. My sin was paid for by Jesus Christ, all of it. Doesn't mean my father won't discipline me here on earth, but we can know for sure that our sin has been paid for. You've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Sin in the Family, a message from our study of the Gospel of Matthew. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to AbideInTheWord.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. Something we've been making available as a thank you gift for our listeners are USB flash drives loaded with Bible teaching series in their entirety. So currently, we're offering the entire teaching of the Gospel of Matthew. That's 109 full-length messages, over 50 hours of clear, Christ-centered Bible teaching on this important introductory book of the New Testament. We'd like to make these teachings available to you, our listeners. Just make your request, along with your gift of any size, to the ministry of Abide in the Word. 
You can do that during regular business hours by calling 503-524-7000 or mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. You can simply click on Contact Us at AbideInTheWord.us anytime. We'd love to put one of these valuable resources in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Now before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. There is no way I could pay my debt to God. People think if they go to church enough, they can kind of pay God off. Or if they give enough money or help enough people or do things to try to kind of even the scales. And the scripture says from front to back, you cannot repay the debt you owe to God. No man, the psalmist says, Psalm 49, can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for his soul. For the redemption of his soul is costly and he should cease trying forever that he should live on eternally, that he should not see the pit. So don't think that you can come to God and pay him off. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin isn't trying to do better. No, the wages of sin is death. Join us again next time as we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott will bring a message titled, A Debt You Cannot Pay. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.